everybody and very warm welcome to a new episode of Bergos Passion. I am so excited today. I'm talking to Joseph Brunner. Hi, Joseph. How are you? Hi, I'm equally excited. My first passion podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But you're no stranger to passion. We already discovered that we have a shared passion for Sancerre. So <laughs> maybe that's true. That too. <laughs> maybe we should start there for everybody. Just for the record, it is early in the day and we have not indulged in this passion yet. But it was, of course, a, a topic for, of discussion. Um, when you traveled here, you were having a little discussion with somebody or a little conversation about passion for wine. Do you often meet people randomly and talk about wine and food with them? I actually do, right? I'm not sure if they always enjoy it, uh, <laughs> but I enjoyed a lot. You know, I, uh, this was from Appenzell to Zurich and it was an 80-year-old lady and we discovered we have the same favorite restaurants, um, we like the same sorts of wine and, you know, the, the righteous flu, which was great. That is so nice. But there's, I feel like that is, such a, that is such a gift if you can connect randomly with people on any level, really, right? That, that exchange. Well, I think, you know, society is based on human interactions and, yeah. you know, with all these phones and all the artificial dis disconnection enabled by digital technologies, we lost that gift of communication. So whenever I can, I talk to people that are outside my bubble yeah. and, you know, get inspired by them or just have a good discussion. And so I'm, I'm happy that I met her. I, I, I believe that and I, I second that. Do, do you recall early in your life, because you got a really early start in, in your business career, do you recall a conversation that was of that nature that maybe triggered something for you or at, at an early stage? Not necessarily a um, discussion because I'm super shy mm. um, and I'm extremely vulnerable and even more so as a kid. So I was not necessarily very communicative, um, but I listened a lot and I mm. observed a lot. And discussions that I observed between bankers and my dad, um, which were not necessarily <coughs> um, positive discussions, um, that I think triggered the entrepreneur in me. Do you, do you uh, mind going a bit more into detail? That's obviously really interesting. What was it? Was it curiosity? Was it hunger for, for knowledge? What was the... Well, it was the, the disappointment I saw in my dad's face. Oh, right, okay. By yeah. not, not seeing his dreams come together. And um, that disappointment was one of the major drivers for my entrepreneurial career. So when did you start? That was super early. Well, I, I started with 15 and officially with 16, but um, I dropped out of school when I was 16. But I, you know, the unofficial start was when I was 15. And tell us a bit about that, because, you know, I, it, is such a, it is such a basic question that I know you've answered so often. But this is about this podcast really sort of as a framework is about passion and about urgency and, and the feeling that sort of arises and you can't really help but act on it. And with you, that has such a, you know, such a such a big sort of tangible moment there in such a young age to have this urgency to 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 yeah be entrepreneurial i think that's insanely rare right so that's why i'm, I'm asking about the, the tell us the story well for the records i'm still young I'm yes just, just <laughs> saying just saying uh no passion always you know drove me i i loved it um mm. but i didn't know in the beginning because uh, in the beginning and you referenced to it as well It was more the urgency and the disappointment and more the negative sides of it that actually were the nucleus of my, you know, my passion. Yeah. Um, so um, <clears throat> my parents had a bakery and um, back in the days, this, this was the time when um, the supermarket started to sell bread. And my dad is an incredibly gifted craftsman but not necessarily the best businessman. And he was not able, nowadays you would say it was a disruption. He was not able to cope with that disruption, that market disruption, that supermarkets would actually be competitors to him. The same you know, happened to butchers and um, other segments um, of that specific market as well. <clears throat> but you know, not only was the business disrupted, but we lost our house because we lived in the back bakery. So we were you know, without a house and that of course was pretty intense um, specifically for my dad yeah. with all the disappointment and that's how it got started and I was I think now um, reflecting on it and looking back I'm just so fortunate that he was so you know he lost I think common sense and everything at that time that I mm. when I told him hey I need three thousand bucks to get started he basically just said yes he walked over <laughs> to uh, another craftsman um, and got 3,000 bucks for me to get started um, but he didn't think about it 
uh, because otherwise he wouldn't have done it, I think. Um, and yeah, this was the starting point of my career. So it was my business angel investment. Yeah. Uh, and then two years later, I was fortunate enough to buy them another house and a new Fantastic. house. And they're still, they still live in that house. And that's the biggest reward that I've ever gotten and ever will get from my entrepreneurial career. And that's but how it started. That's very touching, I have to say. It's, that's beautiful. Did he, did he question you at all? Did he just say, you go do your thing? That's, I think, pretty much what he said. Right? Fantastic. Just go and do something, <laughs> whatever you do, just go. Right? Yeah. And, you know, then it actually started uh, here in Switzerland, mm -hmm. um, the first company, which was a security company um, before security, IT security actually existed, mm -hmm. uh, which made it easy to outperform the peers because there were no peers uh, at yeah. that time. <clears throat> and, um, you know, he was just, nowadays we know that when you, right on a market transformation great things can happen but back then this is 25 years ago it wasn't that obvious right so he was really surprised by the success of it um and you know but he's still extremely humble about it and is happy but he didn't change a bit which is great and did you i mean how did the first steps really happened did you go did you know where you were headed straight away were you were you clear on these are my first my first step my second my third or did it have to kind of formulate itself a little bit along the way well i, I think it's fair to say i knew nothing mm. and i had no plan yeah um i just had drive nowadays mm. it's a bit different <laughs> i still have the driver i hope but i always have a plan and have a strategic target picture and um, everything is very clear When I was 16, I was sitting actually in a beer garden in Munich, uh, which was a <laughs> really interesting crowd. My uh, quote unquote co-founders or partners in crime. Um, <laughs> one of them was uh, just produced a movie with Wesley Snipes. Wow. And I mean, it was just very diverse, <laughs> but not necessarily um, planned that way. It just happened. Right? Mm -hmm. And then I just went with the flow and, you know, great things started. But it was there was no plan and no nothing. It was mm -hmm. just the drive to be successful. And then tell us about the very early time. So you said between the moment of asking your dad for 3,000 bucks and then buying him a house. What, what happened in that time? Insanity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was just, it was great because <clears throat> I started to, we didn't have the money for me to uh, get computer games. So I started to program my own games when I was 14 something, 15 maybe. Uh, really liked it, um, had passion, Yeah. had passion for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just kept on playing video games essentially, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in banks and financial institutions and started to um, essentially do penetration testing. Um, so playing a hacker um, in, the, in the very early days. Yeah. And back then, <clears throat> IT security was not existent or at least very immature. So it was not as complicated as it is today. So I would not compare myself, not at all, with today's standards yeah. of um, the sophistication coming with cybersecurity. Um, but that's how it started. And I just I had so much fun, right? I enjoyed it so much. And um, the, the first big learning, I think, that happened in these two years where I had the firm was that if you have passion and if you're really good at something, Money is a consequence. So mm -hmm. never chase the money, always chase the passion. Mm -hmm. That's that's a beautiful, and I think it. I think we have a quote. We do have a we have a pull quote. This is this is the title, maybe. <laughs> no, but I think it's true, and I mean everybody that I've talked to in this format has, I think, said something similar. That they, it's sort of somebody said this. Money is just a scorecard. It's sort of just what happens collateral. It's the collateral damage in a way, right? For for certain careers, not for all, of course. I'm I'm generalizing, but for for people with a big passion, that's for sure true. Another thing though that I th that might be a red threat that I want to ask is passion comes with pain. Often, learnings obviously can be very painful. Early days of any business are potentially stressful. They they bring a lot of yeah density and a lot of a lot of fierceness that is required. How, how did that shape up? So before I talk about pain, which is my favorite topic, um, I, just maybe to add on what you just said, um, what is money and what mm. role does money play? And yeah. <clears throat> I struggled with that question a lot because I thought that the root cause for me to get started was financial distress. Mm. Um, But it wasn't. It was disappointment. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened 
what I what I expected would happen when I had money was that, you know, the pain or the disappointment would go away, mm. but it didn't. Mm. So I knew it was not the money and it won't be the money. So chasing money does not have any value. Mm -hmm. So I thought, how should I categorize money then? And for me, it's um, a currency of appreciation mm -hmm. of the work that I did. Mm -hmm. And um, when I get it, I also feel that there's responsibility that comes with that money and that I need to help the next generation of entrepreneurs and founders to find the, sa the same fulfillment. Mm -hmm. right? So for me, it's very abstract and it's a currency of appreciation. So that being said, um, what is what role did, did pain play in my life? I think a very, very significant role. Um, I, I, I wrote a book about this. It's called Follow the Pain, mm -hmm. which is the tagline of my life. I um, <clears throat> I had different phases in my life, and the first phase was about you know the the quest for money with the hope that um, my inner pain would go away. Then I realized that these demons will stay with me, so I better make them my friends. I team up with them, I partner with them, um, which I did. Mm. And um, I became very balanced when I did it. And um, now it's re I'm, I'm really res resilient mm -hmm. and it's really hard to distract me or to hurt me. Um, if I see something and I want it, I will work extremely hard. I will appreciate the pain on the way because I know that most people um, will go 90%, 95% of the way, and that doesn't matter. It's only the, the 5% or the last mile that really matters. And I, I typically visualize it. Um, so I do, I do a lot of things like physical activity I do a lot, but I also um, visualize a lot mm -hmm. and I try to combine it. So when I, I hike every Sunday, um, 52 times a year, um, sometimes I do multi-day um, trips and I always do it so that it hurts as much as possible. So I try to do a few mountaintops on the same day so that I have the, the psychological challenge of going up and going down and going up again, which is extremely challenging. It's much easier to do one large trip and you see that mountaintop yeah. and then you reach it and it's constant steep hiking. Yeah. But it's so much tougher to the first one, the second one, the third one, and you're going down again, you know, Jesus, there's there's another one coming. That's so much harder. And that makes you makes you harder, right? It makes you more resilient or makes me more resilient. And then um, I always visualize a dream, right? When I hike and then when I'm done with it, I try to work on the dream and make the dream a reality. And that's how I dance that dance with the pain. And that is uh, a beautiful dance uh, and also a very successful dance, uh, entrepreneurial speaking. There's so much in there that I want to ask. I, this is so beautiful. Thank you for, for drawing such a clear picture too. I'll start with the first thing. I've tons of questions right now. The visualization part, because I think what also is just a, a, a fact of life is that, you know, this ideal that we can all reach the, the goals that we have. Most people don't have clarity around their goals, right? Like this specific, this is what I want. Th this is where I'm heading. I think once you've got your North Star, you can follow it. But having that, is often the quarrel, right? That you kind of have a direction, maybe you have dreams, of course, but this visualization practice and how, you have, how you're living that, that's, that's one question that I have, maybe the, the most pertinent one. And then of course, sort of questions around that practice because, so I do visualization myself and it has a lot to do, I do it every morning though. I have a 15 minute practice in the morning, meditation, visualization. And I simply do that to get clarity around my goals and it helps me anchor where I was at a time of my life too because we get distracted looking back being maybe disappointed with steps we took with decisions we made but I can rightfully say in the given moment that for me was the right path to take because that was important to me because I sort of have that practice so I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing and I know this is personal so you can say no to this but sharing a bit more around your visualization practice does this go further than the the hiking and then how concrete and how detailed do you do you get with that like what's the what's the proper orientation in your visualization practice I'd just be very curious and does it help you with short step with long steps with really 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 long steps so I visualize every day. 
not only hiking. So I tried to do phone calls, um, you know, walking outside, or sometimes I just need an hour for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get up very early and I go to bed very late. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of time for me to just walk. And then um, sometimes I walk with music, sometimes I walk without music, whatever makes most sense and mm-hmm. gets me in the right state of mind. And then when I'm in that right state of mind, I just dream. And dreaming is like um, drawing. Yeah. And I draw a picture um, of an end state, a possible end state for a company. M- most of the time it's about companies, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know financial transactions. And then once I have the target picture you know, properly drawn, then you know the rest is very easy it's just because i have my b and then i just need to figure out how to get from a where i am to b yeah and most people just start right and they just walk and um or they run and it doesn't matter how fast you run when you don't know where you're going yeah so for me i spend 90 percent of my time properly visualizing where i want to be and then 10 percent of the time on my way which Typically means I I could potentially start late, um, but I typically catch up because I have a very, very clear target picture. And then you said something around clarity, and I think that is something that is very, very important because when you dream, it's theoretically easy to get distracted and have another dream and another dream, and then a dream becomes an excuse and not a goal anymore. In order to prevent that, clarity is really important. And um, the soulmate of clarity is simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't you know, document a goal or anything in life in one sentence, you don't understand it properly. And the smarter people are, the you know, more complex they think and the more challenging it is for them to be simple. And, you know, one of my favorite songs is Leonard Skinner, Simple Mind, Mm -hmm. because that's so me. I try to be as simple as possible, as direct as possible, as clear as possible. And if you have the clarity, then everything else will come together. Also connects to programming, no? The the cleanest Mm -hmm. version of a code is the right and the best version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, also you said uh, the, the value of pain, too. There's so many gradients, right? Like this extreme pain that you're exposing yourself to also when you're doing your practices of hiking. But there's so much in the middle that you kind of can can shift away then if you if you have that practice of mental clarity and trying to kind of like, you know, sift through the variants of, of emotions. And this is also something that I touched on with so many people here who talk about their career paths The, the value of negative feelings, and I'm putting negative in quote marks here, which which you dear listeners can't see. This idea that everything has value, every every emotion and every experience has you know a purpose to get you somewhere. So may I come back to this hiking exercise <laughs> sort of that? When did this start? When was the first time where you correlated a physical sort of activity and and a strenuous activity to sort of a mental? capacity also young was that was that hand in hand with starting a business when you were young yeah because i was always a dreamer but i i was a dreamer who ran away Mm -hmm. a lot away from problems away from conflict and um, as i was running away you know i typically hiked or literally ran did a lot of sports when i was young i still do a lot of sports so I think that connection was a connection that was not necessarily planned but it just happened you know, accidentally, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I what I learned from it is that you know, if if you have enough pain, you will start to think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you clear your mind. There's a lot of different concepts around this, right? But you you have to enter that that state of mind where everything is balanced and there's no noise and no nothing, and then you can probably think, right? I have a, I, I don't want to reference the name of the company, but I have a company in the UK, uh, and I, w- I was doing a pretty uh, intense hike for like 16, 17 hours, and only in the last 30 minutes, you know, the purpose of this company, you know, became very clear yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And I was just so gone physically at yeah. that point, right? Yeah. And it was just, I was essentially crawling almost. <laughs> and that, you know, is, is a great, uh, I think a great evidence, it's great evidence that, you know, when everything is gone and you have that, that clarity, that freedom, then great ideas come. 
there's a there's a very dramatic siren in the ba in the background that we're not cutting out because I think it actually underlined <laughs> the gravitas of what you just said. I I I thought that was that was a really beautiful statement. What about silence? Is that you're probably doing that alone, right? You're not uh, in exchange. Always, yeah. always. I have a lot. You know, I love mentoring and I have a lot of people who would like to hike with me, and I typically say no. I always say no, right? It's because it's it's me time, and mm. I need that me time uh, every weekend. I need it you know once or twice a day just mm -hmm. freedom and you know because the world is so chaotic right and if you have hey you have early companies have more mature companies you know have an ipo and everywhere you know you have you know things you need to take care of so i need that that stability because typically i'm the one who gets the phone calls right yeah. when there's a problem and i actually like this a lot right yeah. uh, i like you know from jumping you know from one fire to the next uh, it's very fulfilling right it's really great because it keeps the mind you know spinning which is great um but in order to be able to do that i need that uh, time to sort out things mm -hmm. and um, i do this very professionally now right? mm -hmm. so it's not it's it's my profession I'm, you could say i'm a professional hiker uh, <laughs> and my side gig is being an entrepreneur because it gives me all of that you know all of the ingredients i need to be calm and patient and basically lead companies and the organizations mm -hmm. to success because well, i i think as an entrepreneur as a ceo chairman your job is very simple you have to have a clear understanding where you're going with the company mm -hmm. and then that's task number one task number two is you have to derive an organization that is able to get you to the target picture as quickly and as effectively and efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing you have to do. Everything, and if if you're failing, you either your target picture was wrong or you were not able to build that organization, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and if you have that understanding, everything becomes extremely clear. But you have to have that that you know freedom for yourself, that stability, to think clearly. Mm. How about early advisors in your life? That's just something that's, it interests me on a personal level. When, you know, advice you got when you were young or something you, that sort of brought you on your way a little bit because the wisdom that comes, and you said this right, pretty so we laughed about it, but you are indeed extremely young. If I, if I may spill Thank the beans, you. your, your birthday was just a few days ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're, you're, this accumulated wisdom right like i guess my question points to where is that coming from where are you picking the inputs that you're that you're receiving were there people that were i'm sure there were many but like some something you heard something that was given to you as a as a piece of advice or something like that that you want to share could yeah share? um i think there are a few people that really really changed my life and in that very mo moment i didn't understand the impact they would be having on my life. Yeah. Um, the first one was um, a gentleman called um, Tom Noonan, extremely successful businessman. Only a few people actually know him. I think he became a billionaire when he was 30. He's now 65-ish or so. So a billion was a different billion back then yes. than it is today. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's just so funny and so humble and such an entrepreneur. And he you know, taught me the importance of culture. If you have, you always have a culture in your company, make sure you, you basically um, architect the culture in your company so that it best reflects the uniqueness of your organization. Then, you know, you can derive a USP from that uniqueness and that will set you apart you know, from your peers, you will be able to outperform your peers. So culture, culture, culture. That was him extremely, extremely important. He also, you know, transitioned me from being an engineer to a real entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, because uh, until I, I started four companies myself, I have 15 now, um, but I'm typically the chairman and the largest investor in these companies. But four, I started and ran myself. And in the first uh, three, I always programmed the prototype myself. Only in the fourth one, I didn't. And that, you know, transitioned from, you know, I don't have to code, I don't have to program, I just have to architect the organization. That was him. Um, then uh, the other person that really impacted my life pretty 
you know, dramatically was John Chambers, um, the long-term CEO of Cisco. He once acquired me and my an energy management firm that I had. And he said that I um, invest not according to uh, what makes me an entrepreneur. He said, you know, you, you invest in things you understand. You invest in cybersecurity. You see a problem. You build an application. You, you know, create a company around that application. You grow it to a specific size and you sell it. You know, try to think in market transformations and try to think how a market is transforming and then build an answer to that market transformation and make sure that your company with you know the offer to then arising problems which are the result of that market transformation are hitting the market when the market has a maturity level that is ripe enough mm -hmm. and that really changed my entire investment thesis um, so extremely extremely impactful and then the third one um, was um, Henry Kravis, the founder of KKR, which I think is after um, BlackRock, the um, largest private equity firm on the planet. And he essentially uh, invented um, private equity. And I was invited, um, the, the CEO of um, AXA had a, you know, had a dinner. There was 10 people or so there, maybe 15, I can't remember. And I did a little fireside chat. And there was not necessarily a queue, but there was a small line of maybe three or four people asking questions afterwards. And he was like the third or the fourth one in that line. And it was, it was fucking Hen Henry Kravitz. <laughs> so he's, he's standing <laughs> in line, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was, you know, ex ex dressed perfectly. Um, and anyways, uh, he said that uh, he would be delighted if I could take the time to have lunch with him. Oh. And there was, um, so he, he taught me um, about private equity Mm -hmm. and um, how to take something that already exists and transform it into something bigger. And he's just so humble as a person. And he has so much, he's 85 now or 86. I typically see him once a quarter. Mm -hmm. And um, he has so much fire and passion and energy in his eyes. And that's just, just you know, he, he once told me, make sure you become a workaholic because that keeps you young. Mm, mm. So these were the three, I think, most impactful mentors in my life. And now I, with the time that I have, try to be a mentor myself and give something back. That's so beautiful. I want to talk about mentorship. I have one comment that I... I'm smiling about because so many great artists, so I come from arts, right? That's my, my background. So many great artists have this approach of when you stop, it hurts, right? Like you gotta, you gotta keep going. Picasso famously painted every day, every day. You would never not do it. And I think this sort of like, you know, intensity of, of keeping it going and being in the, in the spirit of working and in the practice also, I guess this is so nice. That's why I'm, I'm smiling over here. And I want to ask you about transformation though, because you're talking about market transformation and maturity and stuff like that. But of course it triggers a question about personal transformation as well, right? Like when you go on such a journey and you said something just then, it was, it was sort of in a side note, I don't have to code the prototypes anymore. I wonder about that though, because often, of course, when you're, when you're a creator, in, in the sort of most original sense, if you made something that then becomes a product, that then becomes a company, that becomes your original skill set, the making of the thing has to shift into a different skill set. And you so appropriately sketched out what that now is, the clarity of mind. How does that, how does that feel for you? Because I, I, I wonder about the, the making versus the orchestrating. Do you miss it? Is it just a different corner of your brain? Would, do you still just code away sometimes? I, I don't, um, and I don't miss it. And I never thought about it until now. Um, so my, my real, my other passion or the other life that I could have lived is um, quantum physics. So I, I just love quantum physics. Uh, and, you know, math and programming is just a means, you know, yeah. for it. So um, I don't miss the tool, but yeah. I, I miss the career I didn't, I didn't live, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but as, that is one thing that I... It's not a regret at all, but sometimes I was like, yeah, maybe I could switch now, right, and do something different and actually do quantum physics. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't because I love what I'm doing so much. Yeah. 
So I don't um, I don't miss the coding, but um, the transformation that I went through um, is when I'm looking back, it's really really stunning because I changed so much as a person, um, and it was because of the people that I met, of course, yeah. and also because of the things that I saw and um, the you know when I decided to become the person I am today. There are so many. Um, inflection points in my life and I they're very very clear in my memories and I, I can it's it's almost like it was yesterday where I, I made a deliberate choice of being the person that I am today mm. and I feel very happy with it right and I'm extremely resilient and and you know to some extent it can be very hard mm. um, it's really you know uh, it's really hard as, as I said earlier, to distract me or to derail me, uh, but this, you know, is the result of a deliberate, you know, path of decisions that I made to actually become, you know, who I am today. When was the first time um, you, you had sort of a moment and and said, "Oh shit, this is working. I'm successful." Well, I have to the, the first moment that I actually don't know. Um, I have the first moment where I know that you know. Um, things can also go wrong and okay that, that, yes <laughs> that i think was much much more impactful for me mm. right because back then you know before that moment before that inflection point everything was essentially an autopilot and you know great things just happened right mm. and mm. um but then i you know i ran into this first moment where things where shit hits the fan and um, i had to make some tough decisions mm -hmm. and that was where i actually became an entrepreneur When was that? I, I don't know how old I was, um, but I um, this was in my I think second company, and I hired um, two managing directors for that company, and they tried to steal the company. And, wow! Uh, yeah, and I was as I told you earlier, I'm, I'm I am very vulnerable and yeah. I, I am very shy, and um, but when I was younger, I tried to hide it and basically play a role because I didn't have the confidence. And confidence is extremely important as an entrepreneur because people always follow confidence and people invest in confidence. Yeah. And if you are confident that you will reach a goal, you will significantly increasing, um, significantly increase the chances that you actually reach the goal. But back then I didn't have the confidence and everything was on autopilot until that, that moment. And I, I still remember I had a, um, a apartment uh, in Munich, which had two floors and I was going down the stairs from floor two to floor one and I was crying um, because I, I was I was actually so anxious about what's coming now and it was you know two guys and they had a lawyer and you know it was a, it was a pretty frightening scenery for this this young kid that I was back then yeah uh, and um, then I, I still remember very lively I was you know crying on these stairs and I made that that deliberate choice that I want to be an entrepreneur and that I have to fight for it myself. And then the consequence of this was, you know, as a young kid to fight these 40, 50 year olds, very experienced uh, and cold um, businessmen uh, and took me a year or one and a half. Uh, and it, it, you know, the outcome was great, mm -hmm. but it was a pr pretty brutal <laughs> ride. Um, and uh, but now I enjoy, I enjoy that brutality a lot, right? Because I was alone, and you know I had to stand up one more time. Mm. And there's so many great moments. You know, this went then on to court, and these guys didn't show up. You know, at court, um, and they sent the lawyers. And I was as I was having this discussion with a lawyer, my lawyer, which I still have. Um, and uh, I asked him, you know, do I have to come? Right, hoping he would say no, <laughs> yeah. so I could run away. Said you don't have to, but you know it sends a signal, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because a judge is a person, is a human being. Yeah. So if you show up, yeah, and you know face it, and they don't show up, you know it's it sends a signal. Yeah. So I went there, I did it. It was brutal. I hated it, um, but I won, and the outcome was positive, and that taught me something very, very important. Yeah. So I'm. Now I'm solving every conflict immediately. I'm shutting down everything that could become a conflict. 
and there was essentially the nucleus of of that capability did you see that coming when you first you know in hindsight did you did you think that you know that 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 conflict sort of could have been foreseeable or something like that with those people well looking back forensically mm. of course mm -hmm. um, now instinctively possibly um, but not for me back then because I, i was lacking the scars on my back yeah um, yeah but Now I smell it immediately, yeah. right? and I, I have a no asshole policy, right? So I don't have to make money anymore in my life. So I don't have to work with people I don't like, mm -hmm. um, or that don't share the same values. They don't have to be, you know, bad values, but just not my values. Um, and I, I have a pretty strong filter on it now, mm. which is, which I derived essentially from moments like these. Mm. Um, but back then, I, I, I didn't see it coming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I buy that. I mean. The scars on your back that's a beautiful way to say it, to say that right i mean it just teaches you these kinds of experiences must teach you so much to go forward how do you now i mean i don't you know don't want to ask you about your values but what is sort of a, a a moral north star for you right now when it comes to dealing with people well i'm i'm very careful with the word moral mm -hmm. um because i don't want to you know set standards yes um but I want to do the right thing, mm -hmm. right? So values for me are, um, you know, I'm on the side of the people that I support, whatever it takes. And I now actually, I enjoy, it's weird to say, but I enjoy the brutality of it, mm -hmm. right? Because the rough seas make great characters mm -hmm. and most people jump ship always. Yeah. And I just, you know, you, I, I had this discussion with a mentee of mine and I, I visualize everything. So when I'm I'm getting into this this uh, in the in this fight or in this in in rough waters, you know I, I visualize, visualize myself being the captain, you know, which is on deck and screaming, "Bring it on!" and screaming to the waves, "Poseidon, that's all you got!" <laughs> and this gives me so much power while the yeah. others, you know, and I I actually lift that emotion too, mm. right? And mm. I I pump myself up so much mm -hmm. and I get so much energy from it I, I charge my batteries to a very very high level and then I get into the situation into the conflict whatever and I just run mm -hmm. right? and I just and I like it I, I really I, I wholeheartedly love it mm. now I you run it. through it not away yeah from totally it. totally yeah. I'm not searching for it and you know uh, I hope you know these situations don't search for me <laughs> but when I run into it um, I I I'm extremely willing to enjoy the brutality of the moment. Did you build your army? I'm staying in the in in this idea of you know being ready to to indulge in the in the drama and also in the you know in the fight of it. I imagine that especially when you get started very young, you really have to build up the skills to also get the people around you that can that can support you and be there for you. And I guess that's this is also where my question was sort of pointing like this. The filter that you've learned and like how to how to assemble the army. I mean to stay in this really a little bit, you know, kind of too drawn out picture. But yeah, um, so yes and no. So what I what I enjoy now a lot is to so I've owned personal OKRs now for myself. Mm -hmm. um, so for those who don't know what OKRs are, they're, they're a way to measure the impact of specific activities and whether they bring you closer to your goal or no. Yeah. Um, and um, <clears throat> I have this, of course, on a professional level, because on the professional side, um, when I invest, as an example, and I get back to the question of, of the army in a second, um, the when you invest in something, it makes zero, zero sense to look into financial performance, um, which might sound very odd, but it makes significantly more sense to understand the root cause of financial performance yeah and then to measure what is you know the driving force behind financial performance be good or bad and only and exclusively look into the rack wheels of your clockwork your organizational clockwork and your value proposition to see what do i have to change which dial do i have to tune to actually uh, change the outcome mm -hmm. of the business I'm conducting. And then great revenues and great profitability will be a result of it. Most investors just look into return on, you know, return on sales, profitability, 
And that's a great way of looking into it if you're detached. But if you're in the in, you know, if you have a chance to look into the inside, it makes so much more sense to look into the insides. One of these insights is that, you know, it's a great organization consisting of great people that make great things happen. And that's one of the reasons why one of my OKRs is um, to work um, with, you know, people who are willing and hungry to change their own life. Mm-hmm. And then my um, key result is that their life is actually changing. Mm-hmm. So that's how I measure my success and I bring them together once a year and we basically uh, celebrate the successes we have to some ex- uh, extent in the market, but for me more importantly on their own personal lives. Mm-hmm. And now, um, you know, it's, it's actually great. I had a, um, a founder in, in the UK, he worked for me in three of my companies. You know, he's now the CEO of his own company. Started over Sancerre, believe it or not. Yeah, great. <laughs> I do believe yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, we're carving out a business that we acquired in this firm that he started. We're carving it out, and he's investing in that spin-out. And uh, he said that you know the founder, who I don't know, or the the, the CEO of that spin-out, would be delighted delighted if I could invest as well. Mm-hmm. And that's great because that personal OKR leads to more financial opportunities. Yeah without me looking for more financial opportunities and the same logic always try to focus on the root cause and try to do the right thing in terms of the army um i i actually don't have an army because i enjoy the fight so much myself and what i realized as i was somebody who was running away a lot as a kid Mm. i would have wished to have an army that would fight for me and then as you travel through your professional life you see that most people do this you know they, they threaten it's like you will hear from my lawyers mm. and, and nonsense like this mm-hmm. and you know then okay they should call my lawyers that's what the response typically <laughs> is and my response is yeah they should call me and I fight it myself mm-hmm. and most of the people are not capable of doing that so my decision was to not have an army, but to fight everything myself, because I know all of it's significantly cheaper, first of all. Right? <laughs> um, and secondly, I love to be in control. I do try. I try to avoid everything where I have to give away control in everything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a natural consequence that I try to fight the fights myself. Mm-hmm. And um that is actually something that works worked extremely well for me. It also helps you to to not become fat. You know, most people build you know extremely large family offices, and they do this investment, that investment. No, it's me, myself, and I. Mm, mm. That's beautiful. It's also easier to climb up mountains that way. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit? Um, and I know we've been chatting for such a long time. You have to you have to tap out if if we're being too long. But I'm enjoying this so much. You mentioned the mentorship so much. Can I can can I just openly ask you about that? That you're uh, you have met so many mentees at the moment, and what does mentorship and giving you know giving that giving that back maybe even? Well, it's uh, a two way street. Yeah. Right. Good mentoring mm-hmm. is always a two way street, and the way that I measure, you know, the success of the mentor-mentee relationship that I have is also what can I give back to like and it's really hard to give something back to people like Henry Kravis as an example right Mm. Um, so I try to have to be creative to find ways to give something back Um, and um, when I enter mentorships myself and I become a mentor I try to be extremely respectful of the relationship I'm entering because most people say they don't need much time, but that is a concept I'm not agreeing with, right? Because if I do something, I do it wholeheartedly and I commit to a relationship. And you can't solve problems in four 30 minute sessions. It's, you know, a ride that you do together. So I uh, typically only have one or maximum two mentees. Um, and um, I, I always try to make sure that I can actually help and that there is a chemistry that connects, that values um, do comply with one another. And then it's it's great because you you just see how 
they change not only professionally uh, but personally mm. and that is something that is so fulfilling right and then again financial upside always comes as a as a as a side benefit but i never i always go into every mentorship um relationship without the the hunger appetite or sometimes willingness to invest because only then you can be truly independent mm. How many companies in your portfolio ish at the moment? Oh, portfolio is a too technical term, but how many how many companies are in sort of your eyesight at the moment? So either really yours in some way or your mentees that you feel connected to. So um, the men the mentee one I'm having today doesn't have a company yet, mm -hmm. um, so that wouldn't count. Uh, I have 15 companies in the portfolio. I I invest very very different to other business angels i wholeheartedly disagree with uh, spray and pray i think it's <laughs> it's nonsense it, it, it's, yeah it, it's just i mean there are so many reasons why it, i mean it, it might make sense from a portfolio perspective mm -hmm. right um but you're as i just said earlier i want to be in control and mm. if i invest let's say five hundred thousand or something as a business angel somewhere you know how much you know time do i really dedicate to it and we're coming back to pain How much does it hurt me if I lose it? Yeah. Right. Um, so I I do fewer investments, but I, I act like almost a fund yeah. in terms of the ticket sizes. I try to be the chairman of the company mm -hmm. that I invest in and really mm -hmm. help with the target picture and building out the organization because that's where I think I can add most value. Mm -hmm. And then I let the CEOs run the companies mm -hmm. and I have 15 of those. And I try to always make myself redundant mm -hmm. um, and come in when the companies need me the most, which is either, you know, you do an IPO or you sell the company or you have mm -hmm. some, you know, stress to deal with or you do acquisitions. Um, that's when when I come in. And I, I always try to teach the people the same values that um, I based my companies on, one of which is frugality. Mm -hmm. I never um, became part of that um, chasing unicorn club because you know the easiest way to become a unicorn is to be as capital inefficient as possible mm -hmm. which just forces you to raise more money and then you know your valuation becomes a consequence of your inability to spend money properly <laughs> um, and most people don't understand that there's a big difference between company valuation and how much a company is actually worth yeah and yeah. Uh, actually that's why i think great times are coming because those who are lean and mean it's their time to shine now Right. Uh, and I don't want to, there's another portfolio company that we have. Um, and it's, you know, the, the company raised zero money, you know, um, from the external world. It's two years old. It does roughly 30 million in revenues, 3 million in profits. And that is just beautiful, right? That But is just so much better than, you know, doing 100 million or so in Uh, bookings yeah and a little bit in uh, revenue and you know losing 10 million a year or something anyways um so that that is where i try to add most value how to build an organization how to be lean and mean um frugality being clear understanding that you know a company can only do one thing mm. better than everybody else mm -hmm. and you can't please everyone right so in in your culture in your dna You have to have something that reflects the uniqueness of what you do. And you have to always think very creatively, you know, how you go to market. But you have to be extremely self-reflective of, you know, do I have a right to exist commercially? Yeah. And that is something that uh, I try to bring to the table to my portfolio companies. And um, I hate arrogance. Mm. Um, I love when people are humble and I've seen that the, m the more successful people are, the more humble they are. And that is something that I try to, you know, teach my young entrepreneurs as well. Although I'm, you know, for the records, I'm still young. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let, let that be known again. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I just love what you just said with such conviction. It was so wholeheartedly great times are coming. That is such a beautiful thing to hold on to. May I ask you, before I let you go, um, what are you most excited about? And that could be climbing a different peak than you have. Like, is there maybe a hike that is 
up on the horizon that you want to do it can be professional you can answer that in any way you can also give me a long 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 answer about many things that you're excited about but the the good times that are coming what are you most excited for proving the hurt that the hurt is wrong because you know if you look into financial markets and investors in general it's really interesting how they behave uh, because they always do the same collectively mm. right and it's so great If you, if you look back um, the last 10 or 20 years, um, there, there you have ups and you have downs, you have peaks and you have valleys, and they actually had little to do most of the times with the real substance of the companies. Mm -hmm. It was just what was trendy. And then you have the first one, two, three investors doing something, and then the herd mentality comes in and mm. they all do the same. Mm. And um, I love proving people wrong. It's mm -hmm. just so great, you know, that the more I hear no, the more excited I become, the more <laughs> passion I build up. And that combined with trying to build companies that are great um, actually, you know, makes me think, and that's a hypothesis that I'm having, that now is the, the best time to invest ever, right? Because valuations are low, markets are down, mm -hmm. which but the money didn't go away, you know. It's still somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it needs to go back into the system. The question is, when will it go back into the system? Mm -hmm. And that is something that uh, I think nobody knows. But I think there is empiric evidence that once the first big tranches of, of money go back into the system, there is a dynamic that the markets will go up again mm -hmm. because the money needs to flow back into sure. the system. So what better time to invest and to build and scale out great companies than now when everything is low? Because then when you, <clears throat> when you have a great company that actually fits right into what the market needs now, like energy as an example, uh, you outperform your peers. That in itself is great. And then you benefit from that outperformance. But then also when the markets go up, you also benefit from the um, overall trend of markets going up, which will give you a, uh, an additional booster. Yeah. And that is something where I you know, tell my, my guys and, and my portfolio that now is the time to double down. And I personally have invested as much in the last six months that I didn't invest in the last few years altogether. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's actually now is the time to build great companies. Joseph, that is, I think, the most powerful ending we've ever had. And also, I wish people could see the expression on your face. You're like full-heartedly just, yeah, <laughs> believe Passion. it. It's passion. passion. Yeah, no, no, it truly <laughs> is. It carried. I have to say, this was probably one of the most inspiring conversations I ever had. Thank you for being so honest and so vulnerable and sharing so many insights. This was really fantastic. Thank you I, a thousand times. I enjoyed it. The next session over wine. Yes. Oh, please. <laughs> yes. yes. The next time we do this in the evening and have, a, have at least one bottle of Salsa with it. Absolutely. Thank you a thousand times for being here. Today. Thanks for having me. And we thank you so much for listening and we'll be back more with more passion soon. Bye bye.